Listener Production. The sun is getting angry and no one knows why. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. The sun is spitting out solar flares, left, right and centre, and it's starting to get dangerous. In February, satellites fell from the sky after flares caused a geomagnetic storm. And last month, a solar flare erupted, knocking communications technology out cold. Today, I talk to Cosmos magazine journalist Evram Yazgan about why the sun is spitting out more and more solar flares, and we try to get to the bottom of the sun's bad temper. Evram, a solar flare eruption sounds pretty ominous. Spell it out for us. How did this all go down? A solar flare erupted from a part of the sun in mid-September this year. It came from a departing sunspot. Now, a sunspot is an area of heightened solar activity on the surface of the sun. Mm -hmm. The flare burst out across the solar system, reached Earth, and caused massive shortwave radio blackouts across Africa and the Middle East. Whoa. Yeah, so essentially certain communications technologies were knocked out Radio communications were affected for up to an hour after the flare. And solar flares aren't uncommon, but this one was particularly powerful. This was an M8 class solar flare. So it was nearly an X flare, which is the most powerful kind. Okay, that sounds pretty hectic, Evram. I do have a little bit of understanding of what a solar flare is. Like when I think of a solar flare, it's kind of shooty fire that kind of shoots out of the sun. It curls back around like a little whip or maybe like the eye of a needle. Not sure how accurate that is. Maybe you can paint a clearer picture for us. Like what are they? Yeah, so that's pretty much what they look like. If you look at videos or images of them, they kind of look like giant flaming arcs reaching out from the surface of the sun. Mm. But what they are is an intense localized eruption of electromagnetic radiation, so essentially light of different wavelengths coming from the sun's atmosphere. With this particular solar flare, as I said before, it was classified in M8, but there's a whole range of different classes for solar flares. They're given a letter designation, so A, B, C, M, and X, where each letter is 10 times more powerful than the previous one. Okay. Uh, So A is the weakest and X is the strongest. And they're given a number as well. So, for example, M1 or M8. The strongest recorded solar flare was about 160 years ago, and it was called the Carrington Effect, named after Richard Carrington, who was one of the UK's foremost uh, solar astronomers. It's believed that this would have been about an X45-class flare. And just to explain that and how powerful this was, because there's no classification letter above X, They've just shot the number up to 45, which means this is 45 times more powerful than an X1 solar flare. Wow. Uh, It's the most powerful in recorded history of the last 500 years. Now, Carrington was observing sunspots and he saw two beads of blinding light appear over the spots. Before dawn the next day, skies all over the planet were bathed in red, green and purple auroras, including in the tropics. Telegraph systems were disrupted and operators electrocuted and telegraph papers were set on fire. Wow. Okay. And so what is the link here between these solar flares and knocking out communications? As I said, solar flares are eruptions of electromagnetic radiation and communications such as those we send and receive through satellites and in navigation systems 
rely on electromagnetic radiation to run. So because they sit in the same wavelength, that's how they're interrupted. Some solar flares can be so powerful they interrupt power systems, which includes the power grid. And there is a big issue, as you can imagine here, because as we become increasingly reliant on technology and satellites, which are vulnerable to such solar activity, this could be dangerous. We actually saw this earlier this year when literally satellites were falling out of the sky because of geomagnetic storms oh my gosh. above Earth's atmosphere caused by solar flare activity. And this is due to what's called a relatively minor G1-class geomagnetic storm. So another thing that solar flares can do is cause these storms by messing with the Earth's magnetic field. On top of this, scientists are warning that our sun is getting even more moody and volatile and that powerful flares are going to become more common over the next couple of years. Right, so more solar flares and potentially more falling satellites. Fantastic. That makes me feel really great and safe inside. So I guess the question here is... Why are we likely to see more solar flares? Well, unfortunately, Sophie, we don't really know. Um, perfect, perfect. Yeah, and that's because we don't actually know all that much about the sun. Truthfully, we know next to nothing about it, especially given, you know, we see it all the time. Yeah, wow. But it kind of makes sense as well, because you can't really send things there to study it. You can't really put people on the sun to no. investigate it. It's very hot, I understand. It's, it's quite warm. But organisations like NASA and the Bureau of Meteorology here in Australia have whole divisions dedicated to space weather and they research the sun and how solar activity generally will affect us. There are about 20 different models out there developed by different scientists which attempt to explain the sun's mechanics. But we don't yet know enough about the sun to eliminate any of them or say that one is correct where the others aren't. Sure. So the science looking into the sun is patchy at best. And if you think that the weekly weather forecast predictions can be inaccurate, well, try mapping out the habits of the sun. It's definitely not always reliable. <laughs> but as I said before, our sun is getting more active and large solar flares are being flung into space more frequently. We are able to tell this through observing the different cycles of the sun. Right, okay. So what are sun cycles and how do we actually observe them? So you can kind of think of sun cycles like we think of seasons here on Earth. On Earth, we would gauge seasons by temperature and climate. On the sun, its seasons or cycles are determined by its sunspots. So for instance, at solar maximum, which is when the sun's at peak activity, there are more sunspots and there are fewer sunspots at solar minimum. We observe sun cycles through telescopes and they average about 11 years uh, we've been observing them since 1755, so we are currently in cycle 25, and it's this sun cycle that's predicted to be the most volatile. Why is that? Well, basically, we can look at old data about sun cycles and match that with what we're seeing through our telescopes today. So cycle 25 will go through to 2030, and the main prediction is that the peak of solar activity is expected around July 2025, with a sunspot activity score of 179. So essentially what this 179 score means is that we can expect a lot of solar activity in that July and the potential for more solar flares and storms. So the sun is going through a particularly moody period. It's cycle 25. We've got more solar flares predicted. 
What are the real world implications here, Avram? Like, what does the sun going through a bit of a rough spot mean for people here on planet Earth? Yeah, look, other than more satellites falling from the sky, (laughs) uh, there are a few things that could happen. So the solar flare in mid-September was strong, but not as strong as they can get. It can still go up to that X rating we were talking about before. Mm -hmm. If we were to see a solar flare event of that power, we could be looking at mass power failure, so things like complete high-frequency radio blackouts on the entire sunlit side of the Earth that could last hours. Whoa. We could be seeing low-frequency navigation signals used by maritime and aviation systems also go out for hours. Grid systems could experience complete collapse or blackouts, transformer damage, just to name a few. There are also some ecological impacts Namely, how more sunspot events could interrupt how whales navigate. Researchers from Duke University in the US looked at this a few years ago. They looked at how solar storms could alter the geomagnetic field uh, and how it could lead to false information or disrupt animals' receptors, leading to an inability to orient. So this is clearly pretty whack. Uh, There are a whole slew of bad things that could go down as we see the situation getting worse. Those are some pretty undesirable situations there, Evram. I'm not going to lie. So just wondering, is there anything we can do to kind of mitigate the damage that solar flares can potentially cause? So I I probably sound a bit like a broken record at this point, but I'm going to hammer this point home again. The science on all of this, the sun, solar flares, and how we can mitigate these terrible situations that solar flares can cause is still super fresh. There is so much we still don't know. So what can we do to mitigate this? Uh, I don't have a fully fleshed out answer for you. (laughs) There is research and questions being asked about protecting and safeguarding the technologies, so satellites and navigation systems that we put up there, but also potentially bigger questions around considering how much we rely on these things. Sure. It's also worth pointing out, I think, as we chuck more stuff into space and as our lives are more and more determined by satellites we put up there from radio to TV and GPS and all sorts of communications and navigation systems, these kinds of events are going to impact our lives more and more. But yeah, the main focus here, I think, is if we're to manage the situation as best we can, to rev up our understanding of the sun, why it does what it does. What do these cycles really represent? That's the priority here. And then hopefully that will help us mitigate and be best prepared when the sun is angry. Evram Yazgan is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Evram's reporting at cosmosmagazine.com. Also, if you're a fan of the show, don't forget to subscribe. You can download the Listener app to listen for free or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If that's Apple, Spotify, just search The Science Briefing and leave us a review. Let us know what you think. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. Our executive producer is Carla Arnold. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.